Joe, I totally understand what it is to, to be up late or to, I think I'm in another time zone still and still working through that as well. As many of you know, I spent the week in Maine and uh, we had a little trouble getting back and we didn't get back till yesterday. And um, Amanda, we're, it's going to come out. I just can't help it. That New England thing. She said to me last week, she says, I can't wait till you get back because I love the fact that your R's drop off and move around. And she says, it's always fun to, to hear after you get back from New England. So I'm not even going to try this morning. Um, thankful to be here, but uh, so it'll probably plenty of lobster chowder, and we park the car and all that good stuff, and so it'll probably come out. Amander, there we go. I'll throw it in there. Just uh, again, I try not to say Linder, but I, it comes out too. So, like I said, we just move them around. We we use them. Just we hold on to them for a little while longer. So, anyways, thank you for allowing me to go back. We had a great time back east, and uh, it was fun to spend time with Dad and see the colors and have plenty of seafood, so thank you for allowing me to get back, and uh, thank Ernie for covering for me yesterday for Band of Brothers. I was supposed to get back and teach, and um, I sent him a message that says, uh, guess what, bub, you're up, and uh, he stepped up to the plate and not only cooked, but also took care of the lesson, so thank you for that. appreciate that, and uh, we welcome you folks from Ohio. Um, I love what your baseball team's doing. Keep it up, because uh, we all don't like the Yankees, and so we appreciate that, uh, but this afternoon, sorry, go Patriots. So if you know football, you'll, you'll know why I said that. So, uh, But anyways, enough of the sports talk, right? Let's get on with our, our lesson in 2 Corinthians. If you're visiting, we've uh, been working through for quite a while now. We're actually all the way up to chapter 11. And uh, Lord willing, we are going to finish this series uh, in October. So we've got a couple more after this, but we've been working our, through, our way through week after week in 2 Corinthians. And Corinth was a great place to be, right? No, not so much, right? It was a, a tough area. It was a tough place to plant a church. Um, spirituality was uh, not the greatest, right? It's a tough place to be. It was a, a lot of influence. The culture around them uh, was constantly coming in and trying to change the church. And the church in Corinth was a perfect church, right? No, no, not so much, right? It was a, it was a struggling church. And as we've uh, been working through this letter, this second letter, no, right? This is probably the third or maybe even the fourth letter, right? It's, uh, there's a time in between the letters that Paul writes back to the church. And so uh, we've been studying uh, this letter that we have here, Second Corinthians, but there was a gap from the time that he wrote the first letter to the second one. There was a visit in between. And the church in Corinth loved Paul, right? Not always, right? They struggled, right? Like in any relationship, they had some difficulties. In fact, many of them were upset because Paul said he was going to come visit them, and the Holy Spirit led him to go beyond them. He went on to Macedonia and didn't stop in there. And people questioned his integrity, questioned, you know, was he really serious about his commitment? And so he had to write this letter to, to combat some of that. And if you've been with us, we also looked at a lot of the, the, the gifts that this church has. And early on, Paul mentions their comfort, right? right? They had comfort. They were, very, they were given comfort so they could give comfort to other people. In fact, they took care of Titus when Titus visited. We, if you're with us, we saw that part of it. We also talked about generosity, right, and giving. We spent two Sundays back-to-back about that, that spirit of generosity and giving and how important that is as a church to be giving. We also saw how Paul connected the churches, 
right? Because there's not just a church, there's multiple churches, not only in Corinth, but in other areas, right? There's one in Ephesus, there's one in Macedonia, there's one in Achaia. And Paul is connecting all of them, and he's collecting an offering to give back to Jerusalem. Because the church in Jerusalem was having a struggle due to famine, due to pressures, they were struggling. And so Paul is gathering finances and sending trusted men to send them on their way to Jerusalem to help this struggling church. Again, we, we see the connecting, we see the, the love of Paul has, not just for one church, but for many churches. And so that's a brief overview to get you up to where we're at right now in chapter 11. And I do that for our guests, but also for us uh, just to kind of get the, the wheels rolling again, right? And to, to remember where you are. I don't think that you've been studying 2 Corinthians yourselves in your personal devotions uh, all month long or a couple months that we've been doing this. Um, I always joke, PJ's using another book of the Bible and she's always running everything through that grid. Well, I've been stuck in 2 Corinthians in some ways, running everything through that grid lately as well. But it's not bad. It's been stretching me as well and it's uh, some pretty good teaching. So chapter 11 this morning. The timing is interesting in many ways. This is one of those chapters that Paul writes. I'm just going to tell you right up front. There is sarcasm in here, all right? And if you know me, I like sarcasm. I mean, it just comes out naturally. As naturally as my R's dropping off and, and adding on, sarcasm is part of that as well, right? It, it's a way of teaching. There is sarcasm in the Bible. Not only Paul uses it, but other folks use it in teaching. It's a, it's a tool, and we have to be careful with it, right? Sarcasm can go too far like anything. We can take it to extremes, but when used correctly, it's a good, effective way of communicating. And so Paul uses it here, and especially in chapter 11, you're going to see that, that sarcasm or rhetorical questions that, that the answers are already known, and so it's going to help reaffirm that relationship and strengthen that bond that he has with this church. So that being said, buckle up, here we go. Verse 1 and 11, it says, I hope you will put up with me in a little foolishness. I say setting it up on the T already. He says, yes, please put up with me. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promise you to one husband to Christ so that I may present you as a pure virgin to him. Joe, you even mentioned it this morning, right? The, the church is the bride of Christ. And Paul sees himself as that connector. He's trying to connect that church to that relationship to Christ. And so he's making reference to that. And Paul does a really good job of that, not drawing people to himself, but drawing them to Christ, pointing the way to Jesus. And so he's reminding them that they are their position and the position that they have in Jesus. And he establishes that right up front. Remember, Paul also has another problem, right? The church in Corinth has some teachers there that are discrediting Paul. They're questioning his authority. And so you'll see here in the upcoming verses that Paul is going to reestablish himself as an apostle and as a person worthy to be over them and to teach them. Verse 3 says, but I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we, we preached, 
Or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. Again, there's that sarcasm on the end of it. But Paul's being very serious, right? He's saying, be careful who you allow to teach. Be careful who you allow to preach in your church, right? And again, it's not the person as much as it is. It's he's reminding them that the devil is there scheming. If you've read through 2 Corinthians, as we've been studying, many times he references that, right? The devil loves to scheme. He comes up with different ways to distract us, to take us away from Christ. He's really good at it. Right? If, he, if one way doesn't work, he's more than clever enough to find another way. And if that doesn't work, he'll go another different direction. And again, part of his deceiving, part of the things he loves to do is just take us off focus. Linda, you, you and I didn't coordinate this very well, but this morning, helping us put away those distractions and to focus this morning. Right? Even coming in on a Sunday morning, we're not always at our best. We're not always focused. And so I appreciated that this morning, doing that, because it's the same battle going on. Like I said, the devil's really good at distracting us. And he also uses false teachers to do that. Right? The gospel is very clear and simple, but again, if you add to it or take away from it, then it becomes no gospel at all. And that's quite often what teachers do in false teachers. And Paul is warning them to watch out for that. And here with a reference in the sarcasm, he's probably said, you may have already done it. You may have already allowed someone in to speak that shouldn't have been speaking. Or at least you've entertained it. And so he's talking about getting back to their devotion, right? Getting back to the basics. Focusing. Again, that sets up the passage of, of what's yet to come. Verse 5, it says, I do not think I am the, in the least inferior to those super apostles. Kind of interesting, the word that he uses here, right? Those super, right? He had an S on his chest, or they had an S on their chest. But, you know, Paul, earlier on, talks about being gentle and, and humble, and here he's saying the same thing. He says, I'm no different. I, I come to you humbly. I come with a message from God. I've been around long enough, and there's always someone that's above you, right? There's always someone that may be a little faster. There may be somebody a little stronger. Yes, there even may be someone that's a little better fisherman, and it's hard to believe, but that happens. Some of you are smiling. You've been on the boat with me. You know how that works. But no, it's true, right? There is always someone better or does it seemingly better. But Paul's saying, hey, when it comes to preaching and the gospel and the sincerity and, and the words from God, be careful. Just because it, they look like they do it better, the message may not be the same. Really, it's a hearkening for discernment here. And so he's continuing that on. He says, be careful as there's other folks coming in. Verse 6, he says, I may indeed be untrained as a speaker, but I do have knowledge. We have made this pretty perfectly clear to you in every way. Was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to you free of charge? There's that question of money again. Right? Paul's very careful there about finances and, and, and where that comes from. And again, he's basically saying that I didn't come to you in order to gain wealth 
off of you. So we presume that some of these other teachers were doing that, right? They were hired for profit. They were brought in to speak, and they were given large sums of money. Paul says, I didn't, I didn't come to you that way. It's not what, what I did, right? I came humbly to you. If you remember back, right, Paul worked as a bivocational pastor while he was there. He was a, a uh, tent maker. He most likely mended sails for the ships. He worked while he taught. But also there's a caution here of uh, just because someone's coming in that's special and well-trained and, and look well, that their message still may not be perfected. It may not be from God. And so he's warning them that the gospel is free. And like I said, I, the gospel is very clear and very simple. We just have to state it. Sometimes we, we get trouble with the wording, but really... Again, just keeping it simple is sometimes the best. Again, Paul's going to go on with this argument. Again, obviously the charge against him is that he himself has been receiving large sums of money to, to speak at churches, and that's not the case here. He says, I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so that as to serve you. And when I was with you and needed something, I was not a burden to anyone. For the brothers who who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. I have kept myself from being a burden to you in any way and will continue to do so. As surely as the truth of Christ is in me, nobody in the regions of Archaea will stop this boasting of mine. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. Again, Paul shows his heart here. He tips his hand a little bit. He really loves this church in Corinth and he's willing to sacrifice to be there. And he's saying, I, I had support from other places. I didn't need your support. I was there because God called me there to preach to you. And again, it's good to examine that from time to time is the, the why behind the what. Why are you doing what you're doing? And some reflection. Right? We've said it here often, right? Our, our motives matter. Are we doing it for self? Something, but what is our motivation behind it? Are we doing it for God or are we doing it for self? And it's always a good, good place to check. And Paul is doing that here, and he's doing it in front of the, the church. He's saying basically, you know, check my motives. Are they pure or not? And he's given the examples of areas where he's given up for the sake of them. And like I said, the sarcasm here at the end, right? He says, yes, God knows that I love you. His motivation is out of love, the reason he's doing this for this church in Corinth. Verse 12, we have a lot of verses to get through, so I'm kind of moving fast, so I would hope that you take some time and go back and work through that this week. Chapter 11 is a little bit long. It says, and I will keep on doing what I'm doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things that they boast about. For such people are false apostles deceitful workers masquerading as apostles of Christ. Pretty harsh words, really. Paul kind of gets, gets down and, and serious with them and, and calls them out. He's not mincing words here. This is a pretty bold claim, but Paul wants to make sure they get the point, right? They're false. They're deceitful. They're pretending. They're masquerading as somebody they're not. 
Again, nothing new under the sun. There's still folks out there that do that today. And again, it takes discerning folks. It takes people that are willing to, to, to work at it, to listen, to, to investigate. Not just a quick search, but do some investigation. Is that really true? Is that really in the Bible? I need to go back and check that out. It sounds good, but can I back it up biblically? I use that one quite often. I'll hear a catchy phrase or a, a, I call it a bumper sticker, and I'm like, okay, but can I back that up biblically? And then I have to do some study, and I look back and say, you know what? That's actually not biblical. It, it doesn't, doesn't match up. That's, that's wise. That's how a person matures. That's how we, we come to understand, and we can divide truth from falsehood. And so we, Paul has these people he's talking about, and again, it's not the person as much as it is who's behind them. Verse 14 again, he says, And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It's not surprising then that if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness, their end will be what their actions deserve. Right? Satan uses people to distort the truth. Can't get to distract us, to take us away from God. Can't take away our salvation, but he can certainly derail us or demotivate us from doing what is right. And there's all sorts of distractions out there as, as it is. And so add in that spiritual element of distraction, and it's, you can see where it's hard to stay focused sometimes. And so Paul is calling them back to that. I also, the fact that, that Paul calls them out, but he's also recognizing what's behind it. Their end will be what their actions deserve, right? In the end, God will judge them. God is the one that will call them to task. Paul is just warning them against following them, being led astray. Verse 16. I repeat, let no one take me for a fool. But if you do then tolerate me just as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I am not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I, boast, I too will boast. You gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we are weak. We are too weak for that. Again, full of sarcasm. Again, I, I, I can see it. it. As I studied, I was laughing a number of times, right? Paul is saying, don't be a fool, really. He's calling them, like, how could you be so dumb, to put it bluntly, right? To let this happen. But yet, he knows that they're not dumb. They should know better. And so in his way of using the sarcasm, he's calling them back to task. And saying, hey, be wise. Be, be who, you, who you allow to teach. Be wise and allow in who you listen to, who you invest in. Right? He's calling it out to be foolish, which was a very serious charge in that day. Right? And so Paul, again, because he loves them, is speaking very boldly to them, using sarcasm as to 
to, to waken them up a little bit, to point them to Christ again. Because whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about, I also dare to boast. Uh, verse 22 says, And are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Paul uses this argument. Again, we kind of get that glimpse. If we kind of flip it up on its head, we understand that some of the people that were claiming to be the teachers of these false apostles were Jewish. And they were using that fact to give them credibility. They were standing on that. And Paul's saying, if you're basing them on that level, you're basing on their heritage or where they're from, I'm the same way, right? Paul was a Jew. Paul was a well-educated Jew, right? He is a descendant. He, he doesn't hide that fact anywhere, but that's not the basis anymore, right? That's not the basis for teaching or to share in the gospel. And so Paul is calling that to task here, and he's, he's pointing that out to them. Because evidently there were folks in that church that were saying, well, these people are, they have credibility because of their heritage or where they came from. And that's not the basis. Verse 23 says, are they servants of Christ? I am more. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Paul's going to start listing some of the sufferings that he's taken on, right? Paul suffered for his faith. And in a way, he's saying, that should give me credibility, right? On that alone, right? The, the, the fact that I've suffered for the cause. He gave up a lot to be an apostle. But yet he gained much. He goes on with that here in verse 24. He says, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day on the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. That's a heavy burden to bear, right? To live under constant fear. Right? That, that fear actually causes trauma, right? Causes stress to, to have to live under that, those conditions. And Paul is saying, hey, I, this is where I've been. I've been to this place. He's been lashed, 39, right? The reason it was 39 and not 40, because 40, most people would die. That's the reason they backed it off one. So basically, he was beaten to the point of almost death. In fact, even then, sometimes people would die from the, the lashings. Not once, but he's gone through it five times. Beaten with rods, Right? I don't know about you that have boats. If I had been shipwrecked three times, I might have thought about staying off the water. You know, right? But the seas were very troubled in that area, right? The storms would come up suddenly. Boats would be amazing if they were today. But 
he found himself three times. I mean, to survive one of them would be an amazing feat unto itself, yet he did it three times. Also with all this, you can see that God has a calling upon his life. Which is, I think, part of the other reason that he's listing all these things is that you can see where God has protected him and he's, he's saved him from all these near-death experiences. Yeah, and Paul still proclaims Christ. Right? And he's had enemies on both sides, Jews and Gentiles. Guess what? In that day, that didn't leave many out. That, that was pretty much everybody that wasn't a believer was against Paul. He was under attack constantly. Yet in verse 27, he says, I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and then often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. I love how he ends that, right? He says that, that concern, that, he talks really about that love, right? He says, I, I go through all those things, but I'm, this is one of those burdens as well, is that my concern for you, that responsibility. He cares deeply about the mission. He cares deeply about the churches that he's fostered, that he's, those relationships that he has within the church. Verse 29, he says, Who is weak, and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin, and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Right? Paul's saying, hey, I, I've struggled in that weakness. I've struggled with all these things, but I boast because God's brought me through. He's, he's boasting on God that he's, God has preserved his life to this point for the sake of them, for the sake of the ministry. Verse 31 says, The God and the Father of Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. Despite all that, God is, gets the glory. I don't know about you, but when I look back through that list of all those things that happened to him, it would be a tough day for me to praise God through that, right? And we have bad days, and, and it's tough to praise God. And to be perfectly honest, I was struggling on Friday as we kept getting delays to praise God through that. I wanted to get home. I was tired of sitting in an airport. And that doesn't compare to anything that's here, right? God but we do. We struggle in that, right? We, we struggle to, to praise God in the tough circumstances. We struggle to praise God when we're going through those trials. Yet Paul is saying, hey, all those things, even though I struggled, I can praise God for that. It's a good example and it's a good reminder for us, right? To praise God even in the difficult times. Then lastly here as we Wrap this up this morning. It says, In Damascus, the, the governor under King Archies the, had the city of Damascus guarded and ordered to arrest me. But I was lowered into a basket from a window into the wall and, slipped, and I slipped through his hands. Right? Paul was this close to getting caught. He was this close many times to not having his life having it taken from him. 
for the sake of time, I won't go into 20, but 20, uh, chapter 12, I mean, 12, chapter 12 is very similar, right? He'll keep, continue on with this a little bit. But again, he's encouraging these believers to check their motives, to check those teachers that say they're above Paul. Paul is giving his credentials to them and saying, hey, I preached you the gospel. I was not a burden to you. I've suffered really for you as well. I've given up things to be there. And so through that, you can see his commitment to this church and to all the churches, and he commits his life to that. Yet he still praises God through it all. So my hope is this week is as we go through difficult circumstances, I'm not predicting that you're going to go through a tough time this week. I, I, I would hope that you don't, but you may. Some of you may go through thing, tough things. You may have already be going through something difficult this morning, or you, it's been a long trial. My hope is that you would look back and say, you know, God is still worthy to be praised through this. And the, the other part of this is, I would also hope that you would take some time and examine those folks that you've been listening to or that you've been studying, uh, maybe even some of the books that you're reading, and see how they line up. Do they line up with Scripture? Right? Maybe even some of the phrases that you use and say, can I back that up biblically? Does that line up with God's Word? Again, it's, it's a bit of reflection this week, but also as a, a go forward, uh, as things come about this week. And then lastly, continue to praise God, even for the difficult things. Bow with me, please. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, as there are so many things that can distract us, Lord, help us not to lose focus on you. Lord, you are worthy to be praised in the good times and in the bad. Lord, continue to chase and after us. Continue to help us to discern right from wrong, good teaching from bad teaching. And Lord, that we only follow you and your word. Lord, also help us as we share the gospel with those who don't know you, Lord, that you would embolden us and that, Lord, that we can boast on you of the work that you do in and through us. Lord, I thank you for bringing us here this morning and, Lord, for the encouragement that it is to, to be together to worship you. Lord, we praise you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.